Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock, and this week we have Mark Ryle on the podcast. Mark is the author of a book called Run Daughter, Run Father, and this is a fascinating conversation. We know it is common knowledge in the coaching community that coaching your spouse or family member is hard and often not recommended. However, Mark had to change his sedentary lifestyle and double up as father and coach to his fitness enthusiast daughter, Stephanie. I think you are really going to enjoy this. We dig deep into their racing adventures, the challenges of doubling up as a father and a coach to his daughter, as well as what he would have done differently. We talk motivation, tips on how to support your kids, and even just getting started on fitness. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Mark Ryle is on the podcast. Mark Ryle, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Thanks very much, Justin. I'm really looking forward to being a guest on your show. I'm happy to have you here. This is your story. Your story in your latest book sounds like an amazing one. And it starts with you changing your sedentary lifestyle to help your daughter become a runner, correct? That's right. I was about 45 years old, very sedentary. Okay, I did some golf, but I mean, other than that, so nothing too strenuous. I had done a little bit of running in my high school years, but I got injured after a marathon and sort of gave up. So let's say for two decades, I did not too much and I was very good at being sedentary. And then my daughter, one day when she was just seven years old, announced to my wife and I that she wanted to run around the block and time herself. And I had, I had never said anything about doing any running in my past. And so there was something inside of her just wanted she wanted to challenge herself like a lot of a lot of fitness enthusiasts want to do and there was something burning inside of her and she just had to go out there so we lived in Toronto which is a pretty big city I, she was only seven so I, I had to sort of find some running shoes and accompany her and I remember that first jog was her feet were going to turn her over twice as fast as mine, but she was very enthusiastic and eager. And I was just strolling along. It was only, I think, a kilometer or a kilometer and a half that we did. And that was the beginning. So yeah, the name of my book, Justin, is Run Daughter, Run Father. And that's why I put the name Daughter first, because she was the first one to hit the pavement. And then I followed her. Where do you think that inspiration for her to start running came from? Uh, it was definitely innate because I had never, I don't think I'd even spoken about having done any past running. My wife wasn't a triathlete or a runner. So it was innate, but it, I, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be like that way for, for many, many people. It can be learned and it's just as good and a good thing to try to do. How did this develop? Because she kept running and you kept running. Yeah. So she kept running and she's now 25 and still running quite competitively and I'm now 63 and uh, still very competitive. In fact, I, I, I don't mind boasting a little bit. I just got word three days ago, I will be representing Canada in the World Triathlon Championships. Uh, Congratulations. In, in Spain. I just ran the race last week. I wasn't sure. I was waiting for my email. And uh, so I mean, it's all age group, right? So I'm in this, I'm, I'm with the old guys, you know, 60 to 65 year olds, but I get to put on the Canada jersey and go to Spain, Spain in 12 months time. So I'm really excited about that. And I worked hard to, to get in that position. So all because my daughter, she got me out there off the coach. <laughs> now, see, that's, that's a remarkable end point 
not that we're at the end point. Everything is always a during. But I'm really interested in the middle, right? Because that's an adorable starting point. Yeah. And an inspiring end point. Because your daughter's a competitive college track and cross-country athlete now. Yes. And now you're going to go represent Canada. But there had to be a tough middle ground. Like, she's 13 and you're, I can't do the math, 52, something like that. Yes. What is, are you still running together? Are you now actively coaching her? What yeah. does that look like? Yeah. So around when she started getting, when she was around 12 or 13, she started getting quite fast, which happens with a lot of top females there. They run sometimes their fastest times when they're 13, 14 or whatever. And so she was in that, at that point I was now 52, I guess. So I was getting, I, I had already sort of reached my max and I was just trying to maintain right because as you get older you're gonna probably lose a little bit year by year unless you train harder and harder right so so anyway um if that actually that's a good question justin that was right around the intersection point where now my hard runs become her easier runs <laughs> <laughs> and i'm huffing and puffing it's like she's doing these four four twenty kilometer i don't know temple runs and i'm like huffing and puffing trying to to keep up right so because i'm now 52. So yeah, also at that point, we, we both had our challenges, which I detail in the book. And a lot of runners can relate to this, things like injuries. And for Stephanie, her main challenge was she had exercise-induced asthma, which we discovered right about that time in her big first grade nine cross-country race. She was favored to win the provincial championships, or at least one of the top two. And she never finished the race. She couldn't breathe after 800 meters. It's a cool, crispy morning. That's sort of one, the type of weather where it couldn't hit you with the stress to... So that's the first time we found out about that. So, you know, I, I talked about that over the next few years, how she dealt with that. And then for myself, I had some some injuries and things, although nothing totally debilitating. Injury is really hard and running something like 82% of runners get injured at mm -hmm. least once a year, which yeah. is a staggering number. And even more argument for runners to also do some strength training and mobility training and things like that. Yes, for in this middle ground, in this when she's 13, 14, 15, are you writing a program for her? Are you following a program someone else wrote for her? Are you guys training in parallel? How is this working? Yeah, so we do some training together. She's now hit early high school, so she has a coach, a very good coach at the locals, Westdale High School in Hamilton here in Ontario. But I was coaching her. She didn't join the local track club because I and another running expert really here in Hamilton worked with her and we coached her actively. So she had pretty close attention on the running side and training side. Yeah. That's how that worked. She was following her coach's program. What were, where were you getting your training from? Were you mimicking what she was doing and making your own version or doing something completely different? No, mine was more, was different. Although, you know, a lot of things do overlap. For example, we love doing those Farlek interval, Farlek sessions together, you know, we go maybe 10 or 12 kilometers and insert four or five 1K or approximately 1K farts. We used to just call them farts and even mimic the fart noise just before we started. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, so those, those are great workouts. You just feel totally, you know, you feel spent afterwards. You, you've got, you've done, got great aerobics in there. You're going a long distance, but you're also inserting some really nice paced hard sections, not exact sections. Either. One might be 600 meters, the other might be 950, depending on landmarks and things like that. 
So it was very interesting. And so stuff like that we could do together. But a lot of it was separate. Like she did more hard, I'd say, like intervals and fast-paced stuff. And whereas some of your older listeners might relate to this, I couldn't. I'm, I'm at the stage now where if I could do two speed workouts every eight days, I'm pretty happy with that. So I need, more, bad. I need more recovery. <laughs> now, thinking about recovery, there's it is generally held in the fitness industry. And I have a cohort of coaches that I meet with on a pretty regular basis. And everyone seems to have agreed that you do not coach your spouse and you probably shouldn't coach your immediate family members for a litany of reasons amongst with being you live with them. And that coaching relationship is its own thing and can be very difficult. It seems making one of those people an adolescent girl, an adolescent period, makes it way harder. So how is maintaining, how was maintaining that coaching relationship as well as being a dad because it it feels like those things could be in conflict right especially like yes. she's getting hurt she's getting injured she has these competitive aspirations yes. depending on the kind of coach she has and there's lots of there are amazing youth coaches and there are youth coaches who should not be let near people ever again but some of them will find a way to like well get through this season and then we'll worry about recovery whereas someone with more of an eye on longevity and health about someone they love might be like well, actually, we maybe we shouldn't be doing this at all this season, and we should find yeah. some other kind of training so that thirty years from now you're still in really good shape. Yeah, so I definitely had two hats on, and I I was doing some reading about this to make sure I wasn't overstepping. And most of the close coaching I did with Stephanie was up till she hit high school. At that point, the high school coaches in track and field and cross country did had more involvement, so that was good. And she also was working with teammates and she was the captain of the cross country team. So she got that. I, I stepped back more at that point. But when she was, especially when she was 10, 11, 12, and 13, I was quite involved and, and quite worried because, and I think this was where it was really important for me to be involved, is I wanted her to be careful because there's so much excitement about all this. Like she was winning, she was winning races. She was getting invites to the American races, like the New Balance Indoors and the Penn Relays. She was getting big she deal. Was running with the best. Hannah, Hannah DeBowski was one of the big names to, at that point, and Aaron Finn was a little older, but she was getting she was running with those girls, and I had to make sure that she didn't overdo it because so much excitement. A parent might just, for example, get swept away by it all. You're so proud of them, and you wanted to run more, do more races. You get so hyped up and wrapped up. So I. My role and Stephanie in the forward to my book talks about this. She said we butted heads a lot at that point, and my, the main point of contention was her want, being eager to do more, run more, run faster, run harder, train more, train faster, train harder, and me always reeling her in and sort of trying to subdue her enthusiasm a little bit. She gives an example of an interval workout where she comes flying around the corner, and then I, I have a signal. I've asked her to do this thing in, I don't know, 80 seconds. It's like a little circle, a circuit on the golf course. And she's coming flying in. You can tell she's going to come in at 75 seconds. So I'm doing this. I'm, I've got this. I'm saying slow down as she's coming in. The last 100 meters, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hands down saying that means you're going too fast. Slow down, right? And uh, she talks to me for it. Sometimes she, she, did, she didn't like that. But she would factor in how much she had to slow down and realize how fast she really could have done it and didn't really like slowing down. And that happened a lot. Or she'd want to go on another interval. And I would say, no, four is good enough. You don't have to do five. 
you know, you're racing in two days or three days, or, you know, something like that. And even the number of races, um, you know, there's endless races you can put them in, athletics Ontario races, school races, road races. She was, she had done a couple of 5K road races by that point. So you have a lot of people, and her included, very, very charged up over all this. And overtraining or injury is a huge thing. Long-term athletic development is a huge thing. And those were the, I think that period just before high school, that's where I, I believe that I actually had an important role as her coach, her father, but also very much her coach. And being able to keep that perspective, which it sounds like you did, is really, really important of not getting swept away for having, you know, my kid's going to win this and we're going to be in the paper again. And, and she's going to be so happy. This is obviously a thing she loves doing. Why shouldn't we celebrate it and like let her do the thing that you know she's going to excel at? But if you take a few steps back, you can see, well, actually... The past 12 months have been really hard and we're, you know, things are slowing down or looking and you can sort of start predicting six months from now, somehow we're going to exceed our capacity, whether it's injury or burnout or learning to, you know, she starts hating the sport or hating all the sport, of these things right. that happen that's with right. that kind of overtraining capacity exceeding yeah. behavior. Yeah. She was reading about some of the American girls like Brandy Yakshevich and Alana Habby, I think their name was, doing... 300 kilometers a month or more training for marathons when they're 14 or 15 years old really pushing and trying so stephanie was nowhere near that she was doing when she was 10 years old she'd do like 50 kilometers a month 11 years old i think she was up to 60 or 70 like 12 she was up to she was 12 or 13 she started around 25k a week so now you're up to 100 more than 100 per month. So that's starting to become pretty significant, but now you're, you're a little more mature, right? So, and you have the body chemistry to deal with that. You, you can actually yeah. like grow muscle and, and yeah, yeah. your joints are far more better suited to manage that things. And it's impressive that you were tracking mileage or somebody was tracking mileage even at 12 years old. Oh yes. Yeah. That was very important. And not just the mileage, but the intensity, because she also played hockey and soccer. So if she had a big soccer tournament on the weekend, we counted that as, you know, two interval workouts for, for two games or whatever. That counted as running, right? And I don't know how much running they actually was, but it was probably about 5K of running. And it's not just jogging. <laughs> no, soccer is a lot of running and hockey is a lot of sprinting, which people don't yes, always give absolutely. it credit for. It's, you know, go hard for, I'm not a hockey guy, I don't, but the inter, it's like, you know, a minute, right? Like you're on the ice for mm -hmm. a minute or a minute, 20 seconds. And it's just go, 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 go. And then you get pulled off so that you can recover, so you can sprint again. Exactly. Yeah. Rinse and repeat for period after period. Yeah. So there were, there were, and we read, Stephanie, Stephanie was a good reader and I was, so we read about this stuff. We read, you know, go to Let's Run and check on what other runners are doing. And we would um, read books, some running books, There's some classics out there that really helped. And uh, I think it's Green and Pate who did that book about high school running, the Americans 2014 book. That's a good book. And the, actually, I, I thought Peter Poe's book. Sebastian Coe's father's book was excellent talking about, you know, quality versus quantity and things like that. And just watching, he said, his, the one thing he said that really impressed me was, hey, don't follow any regimen. Don't get stuck to any regimen necessarily. You got to listen to yourself and be very honest with yourself. And any, any good regimen addresses the entire person. It's not just 
doing this workout, this workout, this repeats. No, it's the entire person. The whole person has to be considered in the regimen. Exactly right. And it has to be able to adjust for real life. Exactly. I mean, that's why everything, you know, our, our feel strong fitness, everything we do is custom one-on-one. Everything we do is built from the ground up around a single person. Because even if you have, you're the same height, the same weight, the same age, the same training history, you have different jobs, you have different families, you have different sleep patterns, you have different eating patterns, you have like, and all of these things are going to conspire to create a completely different person who can and should be doing different things. Added onto that, you probably have slightly different goals and slightly different injury histories and things like that. And now we really have a completely different training program. So handing you, handing either of you the other's program is at least not going to work as well and possibly lead to poor circumstances. Yeah, that's very well said. Now, for parents, within the fitness world, there's a lot of talk frequently about parents deliberately doing fitness around their kids, right? Like even if, and frequently we will get clients that feel strong, people who have had children, the children are old enough to kind of understand and hang out, and they want to get back into fitness to sort of show this good behavior, show that fitness is something you should be doing and let the kids start playing along. It almost sounds like it worked backwards for you. Yeah, it was backwards. Your, <laughs> your daughter kind of started doing fitness and was like, are you coming? We're going this way. And you're like, I guess so. That's, what does that feel like? Like, because it's such a, a unique or it sounds unique to me, circumstance where the, the child is pulling the parent in, but then you you stayed with it. You didn't just, you know, go for that one run and then say, okay, you have fun. Like you, you, it sounds like it completely changed your own yeah, training life. I absolutely, I feel, well, I feel lucky. I feel blessed. There's a lot of gratitude there. I feel fortunate that Stephanie was like that and sort of drew me in. And it's become a great thing to share. As, like I say in my, somewhere in my book, I think it's right at the end, I say all fathers, I guess you could say all parents, but all fathers um, seek ways to share with their daughters, they say sons do, right? But all fathers seek ways to share with their daughters. And Stephanie and I found our way. You know, it's just one way. We do other things together too, but it's a big part of our relationship. It still is. And it's very positive. It's, I can't think of a more positive thing to, to be involved with together. I mean, it sounds only positive and an incredible thing to share and also an incredible way to carve out time to spend with each other. Even if you're just... And I know parents who will resonate with this, like they and their child are, you know, training in the same garage and maybe they're both listening to their music, but they're spending time together doing this thing, you know, kind of only with each other and not knowing much about Hamilton, Ontario. But, you know, I know even in Philadelphia, I can get out on the road and suddenly I'm alone and being able to get out and just run with the one, you know, this one person that I like. If my wife and I go out for a run, like, oh, this is. This is actually really nice. Even in a busy city, we're kind of alone spending time together. Yes. And it's not always, it's positive, but it's not always easy. You mentioned Philadelphia. We went down to the Philadelphia Pan Relays and Stephanie was entered in the 3000 meter race. I think this was when she was 15 years old. So we knew she had exercise induced asthma. We get down there and I just went down with her. My wife didn't come. So we drove down. And it was it was fun, and we got there, and we're all we're all ready to go. And it was a nice day; it wasn't too cool, it wasn't too humid, so we weren't worried about asthma, any asthma attacks. And on the fifth lap of the race, she points to her throat, and I'm I'm in the stands, and I, I know what that means. I mean, she can't breathe, and so 
I was surprised because it was a perfect day. It wasn't anywhere what we'd expect. But anyway, she had problems breathing. She just sort of shut it down, jogged, and the rest of the way. But obviously, it wasn't the best race for her. But that's where being a father, my role as a father was really important because now on the drive home, it's a long drive home. You, know, you come all the way and you didn't have a good race at all. And you were surprised by this asthma thing, which we weren't worried about just before the race. So on the ride home, I did everything I could to not analyze the race, not be a coach, not worry about the outcome, not the reason. Just be a father, tell jokes, do word games, spend time listening to music. That that's that that was a tr- even though it was a negative thing, that's a very positive experience. The way we sort of dealt with that, it was you know a long ride back, but we, we made it together. We did it together. I'm glad you were there. That's that's a very tough circumstance and a very long ride home. Yeah, exactly. But I'll, I'll never forget that. And she was, she was good about it. We found out later, actually, that reason for it. The, the wind was way up that day, and the wind whips up the flora west of Philadelphia and comes right into the city. And so apparently there was a, a, lot, a lot of people suffered as her tax that day. <laughs> she wasn't the only one. So and, and interestingly, she's grown out of this, too. So and she, she doesn't suffer from this anymore. She's never had any issues since she was about maybe 19 or 20. Oh, good. Yeah. Were there any, with all of these challenges along the way, both like physical, emotional, schedule-wise, have there ever been times when either of you wanted to quit or I, when for either yourselves or you wanting her to quit, yeah. et cetera? She's never really wanted to quit. She, although like a lot of females, she plateaued quite, even regressed a little when she was right at the end of high school into university. And only now, as 24, 25, is she beating her times when she's 15. Like, it's taken that long. I think the same thing happened in Desiree Linden, one of the top runners in the U.S. who went to Boston Marathon. Desiree Davila Linden. She was very fast when she was 14. And then she said she went into this flat period where she, it took her almost 10 years to get back to where being even as fast as she was when she was 14. But then she progressed after that. So that's what happened to Stephanie. So Stephanie had some a little bit of self-doubt in through university, first few years in university. She was training almost more. She never stopped training, but she her times were quite, you know, significantly slower than high school. But she stuck with it. And now this last year and a half, she's starting to break her records and run even faster. And as for me, I had an experience. I went to the World Try three years ago. I, I also represented Canada in, in Switzerland, and I never made it through the swim. So that's my big disappointment. I got, I've trained, I made it, I got all the equipment, got the Canada Guard, got my bike, went over to Switzerland with my wife and my buddy who was also in the race. And uh, they didn't allow wetsuits that day because of the water temperature. And I'm not really a strong swimmer, so I know I sort of need my wetsuit, but I thought, well, I think I can try this, but I'm really not very buoyant without ever very confident. So I, and it was windy and wavy too that day. So Lake Geneva, Switzerland was not, was not a treat for me. I didn't survive. I didn't make it. You have to go 1500 meters in my race. And I I made it about 800 and I realized I was just completely exhausted. So I put my hands up for the rescue boats and uh, got out of there. So that was sort of a downer, let's face it. But, you know, I I said to myself, okay, let's get back in this. And now here I am. I guess three years later, just qualified to go to Spain. And uh, my goal is to get through that swim, get on that bike, and then do the run. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to, I'm so looking forward to it. 
the first rough open water swim without a wetsuit is not for the faint of heart. No. And I've taken swimming lessons since then. I'm a better swimmer, so I'm ready. Well, actually, apparently they made a new rule. This was like a year after it happened to me that you cannot ban wetsuits for people over 59 years old. <laughs> so oh. it's too bad the rule wasn't a year earlier. But so anyway, I don't have to worry about it, but I have worked on the swimming. And, and your listeners will know this. You always have your weak spots in, in different parts of your sport, whatever it is, right? So you, you got to work on that. And so I, I committed with my wife. She comes to, we do swim lessons every Monday morning. And we have a terrific coach named Matt, Matt Reed here in Hamilton who runs a triathlon club. He's really helped a lot. So uh, swimming is very technical compared to running or biking even, which are more pure physiological sports. Swimming is extremely technical. As you've laid out, and if people are listening, I think this will be obvious. This has been a journey of a million steps of, you know, however many times a week, however many times a day training and working on recovery and dealing with injury or trying to prevent injury in some way. And that takes, as you have laid out and anyone listening will hear this, this has been a journey of a million steps of, you know, however many days a week of training, however many times a day of training, like building and building and building and building. And people know that consistency is the foundation of all success. People who are listening to this know that because I say it all the time. But motivation is often the lacking part there. And for mm -hmm. people either who want to get themselves going, or I imagine there's some parents listening whose kids are not quite as motivated as Stephanie, but they would love to have a child who found joy in fitness and health and moving and things like that. Do you have any advice for how do you make this a part of your life? Not something that you do as a special occasion. Most days we're going to move. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that really helps is do not specify the specific activity. So somebody, I'm actually not a bad example. So I, I was primarily running, but now I'm doing triathlons because it's actually a little easier on my body. And I've taken to that, the swimming and the biking is a bit of a break for the pounding of the running. So that's, that's helped. But for kids, for maybe younger people, maybe somebody in high school, okay, what, what are they going to do? The parent might want them to, you know, like hockey or something because they played hockey. That's the parent trap, right? You got to watch out for that. So uh, the uh, you can encourage them to try something else. It could be there's many things that are great for you aerobically. It doesn't even have to be aerobically. It could be you know let's something like I don't, know, I don't want to say it's not aerobic, but something like volleyball might be less aerobic, right? But it's still a fantastic sport with lots of good physical elements to it, right? Basketball, I suppose, would be more aerobic, you're doing more running, especially if you're out there a lot. So there's so many different ways they can approach it, sports they can try, things they can do. But it, you know, maybe it maybe it isn't sports. Maybe maybe it becomes some other activity like music or, or digital creation or you know, as long as I, I, I don't really. I mean, obviously, you and I are talking about activity, right? Physical activity, and I really am a big fan of having kids. You know not obese, not inactive and doing activity, obviously. But sometimes, even if that's not going to happen, at least if they're doing something positive on another front, like I said, it could be in the arts or something. And that's that's pretty cool too, right? I think that's a point well made. And it echoes back to you didn't pick running for Stephanie. You didn't decide that I'm going to create a world-class runner. She decided to go for a run. And you said, great, I'm happy to support you in this. Let's see how we can do this to the best of our ability and keep you happy, healthy, still going to school, still doing all these other things. 
and letting people find their way in. And especially with kids, it's very hard. You know, I, I don't know how many different activities I tried when I was a kid until I found a couple things I liked, but I didn't like a lot of them. I am atrocious at soccer and I really don't like karate. And there was a bunch of things I had a terrible time at. And then I found some some things between like running and arts and music. And I was like, oh, I found my home. This is great. And I happily poured thousands and thousands of hours into those and, and you know, got some support along the way, which is very useful. Yeah. So try as many things as possible and don't specialize. Don't force them to specialize too early either. Too. Again, that's that came in with Stephanie because with running, running is known as a late specialization sport. You do not have to do any running whatsoever, even through necessarily through high school to become a world-class runner. You, it, a lot of them just start in the end of high school or in college. Some of the best runners in the world didn't even run until they were 20 years old, including Olympic athletes. And I can give examples if you want, but I mean, it's, it's incredibly, that's an incredibly late specialization sport where you can peak when you're late 20s, early 30s. I know that's not the same for all sports, like say gymnastics or something or working volleyball skill sports you probably have to specialize a lot earlier but so yeah give give let them try all sorts of different things and if they take their running or aerobics then that's good later on because they got lots of time to reach their potential in those in those sports it's obvious you have a ton of pride in stephanie just from the way you just from the way you say your name but just from the way you talk about her looking back on this remarkable journey is there anything that you wish you had done differently or anything maybe you would tell whatever it was 45 year old you yeah there were a couple of times i crossed and i mentioned this in my book one of the big down times we had was a couple of times i referenced her body weight after a bad run like there was one time she had a horrible run and i just i wasn't sure why it was maybe a low iron or what, what there was some suspicion about low iron about with her for a year or two and she was just running backwards in this race and it was the national cross country finals. And I was just afterwards, uh, like a couple of minutes after the race, I mentioned, is your, what's your body weight? Like, why would I, at that point, why would I say that thing? <laughs> that is a, uh, that's not the right thing to do. So, and I mentioned that in the book as a full paw, as a stupid thing that I did. You know, like if there's anything, I could have just hugged her, right? And said nothing that would be so much better. So, I mean, I was just concerned. I was trying to figure out why, why, why you know, is sort of the coach almost. But the body weight does matter in running. You can't be overweight or, you know, you know, just sort of find your ideal weight. And I'm just sort of trying to figure out if she was anywhere close to whatever that was. But that was stupid. And so I, I regretted that. And I, I, I write about that in the book as, as something that I did. And uh, one of our definite low points. I think that's a hard one for anyone to hear, but especially a young woman, that can be significant. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, in, in the book, I, I talk about a lot of stupid things, a lot of ups and downs we've had, and I try to give training advice, but also coaching advice targeted to younger people like my daughter or to age group, older competitors like myself. We're not professionals, but we're really trying to compete at a fairly high level. <laughs> If someone is a potential age group competitor, someone's listening now and they're, you know, certainly in their 40s, maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, how would you suggest someone like that get started if either they haven't done anything like this before or it's been, you know, at least a decade? Yeah, so easier way in there, get to network with some other people. And then once you start, if you like it and you want to compete, the good news is you can 
can compete on a fair basis with other people with these age group categories. It's fantastic. So, but bear in mind, even in those categories, um, some people will be younger. So in the world try, I discovered that people who were 61 felt they had a, they knew they had a huge advantage over the people who were 64, even though they're in the same age group, they can feel that the 64 year olds can feel that three years. So, you know, the age groups do make it fair, but you still are, well, somebody who just starts, like you're mentioning, say they're 45 or 40 or 50, and they're getting into it, they're going to improve. They're going to improve as they get older for a while. That's that's the catch, eh? So Because they've got, they, they're nowhere near their potential yet. Um, once, let's say they go at it really well for five years and they get near their potential. <clears throat> well, at that point, they're going to have to expect to start slowing down a little bit. Because, I mean, the studies have shown that the VOT, maximum oxygen uptake, or VVO2 max, all those parameters, they decline by... It depends if you if you're active and you're committed, you don't climb decline as fast. But it's usually about about almost a percent a year. In my book, I do the calculation at 0.7 percent average per year for someone who is committed to their sport. But the, even that adds up. So over three or four years, that's three percent. So in, the, in a marathon, you're, you're giving away four or five minutes right there just from getting older, and you can't stop that. But you're talking about people who are getting into it, want to start middle age or whatever, but that's fantastic. You are going to get faster probably for a few years. And then you're going to have to start dealing with maintaining or maybe even slowing down a bit, but then that's where you're protected by the, thank God, by the age group category. So, and then enjoy when you get into the next age group. So you're getting older, you hit 64 now, then you're 65. Okay. Well, you can say I'm a year older and get all pouty about it. But now you're the young person in the next age group, so go and go and get them and take advantage of it. <laughs> so. That's a hundred percent right. And just to reinforce something you said, and this is I found this to be true from many kinds of training. If people haven't been exposed to it at all, uh, then suddenly people will get these newbie gains all over again. We often talk about newbie gains, especially around strength and resistance training, but including anything anaerobic, aerobic. Like suddenly you start working, and your first six months you just like. Every time you go out, you're better than you were before, and you can ride that train for a surprisingly long amount of time, and then at some point, you won't be PRing every single week, and you need a slightly more structured program. But the good news about that is you can get started on potentially a relatively low structure, relatively generic template, and see some success. When you decide it's a thing you like, you probably should need, you know, get yourself a coach, get some specialized work, get yourself assessed, all of those things, but you can get moving now and see some success almost immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Mark Ryle, this has been a joy. Where should, tell people where they should go to buy the book and where they should find out more about you and Stephanie and what you've done. Okay. Well, I can send, if you want a link to the retailer site, the book's available on most of the retailers like Apple and Amazon. The book's called Run Daughter, Run Father. So if they type that in on Indigo, Apple, Amazon, or whatever, they'll see it there. And that's how it's an ebook or a paperback right now. I don't really have a website or anything, but uh, if they go to that link on their retailer, there's a biographical thing. Or I don't know if you provide biographical thing. Yeah, we will. So I'll, I'll send you that too if you don't already have that. So, But there's a biographical sketch on, say, Amazon. And then the, I think I'm also on Quora, but I don't know if people use Quora, they venture onto that. I have a 
presence on there. I enjoy answering questions and I'm answering a lot on fitness, especially running and triathlon on there right now. So that's almost, almost like my website because I've, I've answered a lot of questions on there. I really enjoy Cora. So yeah, so that's how the listeners can get to know me a little better. That's great. Core is an amazing resource if people don't spend a lot of time there. It's just a bunch of experts hanging out answering questions. Yeah, it's fantastic. Does Stephanie want you giving out any social media, things like that for her? We haven't done much. I mean, if somebody looks up Stephanie around, they'll see lots of pictures of her running and racing results and all that. But she, I don't even think she has a website either. But she's on LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff like that. So you know, she, she'd be happy to reach out to anybody if they want to message her. I wouldn't mind getting her on a podcast and maybe in the future get her on here or with me or whatever. We can try Yeah, we'll bring her in. In the future. <laughs> she, she'd be fun. Right now she's in med school. She's, she's pretty busy. She's in that period of med school where you're doing like 24 hour shifts and then going to bed. <laughs> but she's still squeezing her runs in there and that's good for her. But she's in that very difficult part of med school. So. But, uh, yeah. So yeah. Thanks, Justin. That was a of good course. conversation. Really good conversation. It's a remarkable story, and thank you for coming on and sharing it. I think people are really going to get a lot out of it. And we will include all of your notes, bio, links to the book, and all that stuff in the show notes. So if people are listening to this, you can just click over. It's right there. We'll make it super easy. Okay, and thanks to your listeners, too. All the best to them and their, their, their challenges and goals. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Justin. Thank you so much for listening to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star rating if you have the time. That makes a big difference. DM us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. Any questions if you just want to pick our brain. If you'd like more info, the website is feelstrong.me. We value effectiveness, individualization, and empathy. If you want to see what it's like to have an expert in the field, really listen and hear what you need to build you the perfect program to get you where you want to go today is the perfect time to get started. We look forward to hearing from you. and Thank you very much.